0: Uh, So it was uh, NBA All-Star Week or night tonight, right? Uh,
1: no, it's th- this weekend, Friday and Saturday night.
0: Gotcha. Do the Lakers get to participate?
1: <laughs> uh, No, they do not because the only player they had going was Kobe. And as you know, he's out for the year, so he will not be participating. And the Lakers will have no representation during All-Star Weekend.
0: Do they get to attend? i'm I'm
1: sure if you're a player yes you can you can go if you so choose, okay, but I think you know one of the actually one of the big pushes that n b a players have uh, been making lately is to make the all star break longer because they you know they already complain about the length of the season and the whole back to back games four games and five nights et cetera, and so they've actually made the all star break longer for the first time this year, I think it's um like five or six days now compared to maybe four or something like that before. So my guess is that if you're an NBA player and you're not actually participating in the game, you you probably just want to take those days off. You don't necessarily want to just go and, and be a spectator.
0: So all the coverage of that has gotten me thinking, how popular is basketball as a sport? Because I understand that, I know football currently is kind of the flavor of the of the decade and baseball has been kind of waning in popularity a little bit. And nobody watches hockey, but it's always been kind of a wild card for me. Or I just don't understand how many people actually like basketball because we're from Southern California and they don't have a football team. So it seems like basketball gets a um, abnormal percentage of like the attention. Does that make sense?
1: Well, it does. And 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 Carlos, you actually you know, put this question to me prior to us recording, and so I was able to do do some research, and so I can. That's cheating. It, well, you know. I got to get ahead somehow. And so I, I pulled up. I had remembered, I think it was Bill Simmons who linked to this recently, or some, someone that I follow on the on the sports side of things, to, to this Harris Interactive poll that uh, got put out maybe a month or so ago. And it's it's really simple. It's just, it's a table going all the way back to 1985. And the question's really simple. It says, if you had to choose which one of these sports would you say is your favorite? and the you know the list is predictable it's you know pro football baseball men's college football auto racing soccer hockey boxing golf tennis etc cetera, etc cetera. and so the most recent data 2014 32% said pro football 16% said baseball 10% said men's college football 7% said auto racing and to answer your question Wait, are you
0: doing these out of order just to make it shocking no. or is it really that low?
1: No, these are these are in order. Yeah. And so then the, so the next you you kind of you kind of spoiled the ending here, but the next is men's pro basketball at 6%. That feels right. I, you know, when I saw this originally, I thought that felt low. And what's actually really interesting about it, too, is that, you know, again, the data does go all the way back to 1985, so one of the things that they keep track of is each year they show how much the percentage has changed over time, and with basketball, the percentage change is exactly zero, so it was the same 6% share going all the way back to 1985, and there's there's a bit of fluctuation at, um, I think, let's look at this here, I think going, like, to the kind of mid to late 90s, like when Jordan was really popular it got up to 13% but it stayed between 6 and 13% for the
0: last uh what is that now almost uh 30 years. And I'm going to ask a really dumb question. When did the NBA become a thing? Like how long has it been a professional sport? Is it a newer sport?
1: Well, there was the the merger um with the um I'm going to sound like an idiot. I think it's just this, the between the ABA and um Maybe it was just between the ABA and the NBA. I'm I afraid there was a big merger between two major leagues, which then became, you know, the NBA as we know it today. And that goes back, I believe, to the 60s or maybe early 70s. I'm completely showing my ignorance to early basketball history, but something like
0: that. Interesting. I don't know. It, it Yeah, that, that definitely feels right. Because basketball is something people... I think basketball is more... Well, no, I'm not sure. Is basketball more about personalities than teams?
1: Oh, my, very much so. I, I think of of all the major sports. I mean, baseball's kind of like this too, but I, I think even more so. Basketball is absolutely personality driven. Like, you th- I guess the the one of the best examples of that is you think about in 2010, and then now again in this or last year, 2014, when LeBron was a free agent. Those two years think about all the media attention that got there really there really isn't that type of a um, comparison with any individual athlete in any any of the other major sports
0: i think that makes sense because you'll hear uh like people talk about like the uh like the the 2010 giants but most people are going to talk about like the seasons that kobe had like it's I, exactly. It, it seems to yeah. focus less on actual teams. Okay, yeah. So I'm glad. That's yeah, right.
1: you you think about the like the Lakers, right? So the the run that they had in the early 2000s, you think of Kobe and Shaq. That's what that era is defined by. Yeah. And then the more recent run was Kobe and Gasol. You yeah. know, but there so. was there's
0: no L.A. Uh, basketball dynasty of like the early 2000s. It's just certain personalities that rose to the top.
1: Right. Hmm. Well, all right. Wait, was there was there some bigger point you were looking at there, or is that just more of a personal curiosity you have? No,
0: personal curiosity. It's because I, I f- football for a, a just it's it's upsetting to me, but it gets so much attention. But basketball always seems to just be on. But like I don't know, I see people wearing uh, like NBA jerseys and stuff all the time. So I, I just I don't know. It just seems to occupy this weird space. It's like Android, like it just you, you. It's like everywhere, but it's not. You know what I mean?
1: i I love the way that no matter how far we stray away from technology, you're always able to bring it back to technology. this I think that's that's great for the show it's a, It's a gift It it really is yeah <sighs> okay. speaking of speaking of which <laughs> what's that? Well we should maybe get to some technology here. go for it well, so we you know we teased last week that we've got kind of this bigger uber topic, and we're we're going to continue to make the people wait for that. we' we'll, we'll save that for the end of the show.
0: Because I think that's going to get hostile and very angry. <laughs> and I don't want to turn off. Um, you know, don't want to go sure. negative.
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, we we never we never go negative on this show. No.
0: All right. So where do you want to start out?
1: Um, I I probably want to start out with uh, a little bit of follow up, a little bit of fu, as you know, Merlin and you were both you know famous for saying.
0: Is this the first time we've actually, ever actually called it that? I think so.
1: Maybe. Maybe at least since we've been posting these. <laughs> okay. Um, so we talked, um, this was a month, month and a half ago now about the whole Keurig 2.0 thing where we, we called this coffee DRM. And, you know, we actually didn't talk on that show about how the DRM
0: works. Did, did, did you know how it works? I think in it's most simplistic form. There's just like a, like a plastic tab that's, it's just a different shape sort of, right?
1: No. So it, it's actually like a special ink that is printed on the top of each K cup and there's a laser on the inside of the Keurig machine that, re, that can tell whether the ink is genuine or not. Pretty wild. I, di- I didn't realize it was that sophisticated.
0: I like when companies, do, when do, they do things that has no practical application other than to make the user experience worse. Right. I like those decisions because it, it, you under, you, it just comes from a bad place. And I love it because that, that's just, it's when a company thinks they're untouchable.
1: Well, with, with that in mind, this is probably going to come as a, a complete shock. But it turns out that people really just rejected these machines. Kure um, came out with earnings uh, recently. And I, I love this quote in this Engadget article that we linked to. This is a quote from Brian Kelly, who's their CEO. He says, quite simply, our 2.0 launch
0: got off to a slower start than we had planned. But what was the purported benefit? Like, because like, I don't understand why a coffee machine not, needs to have a touchscreen. Like, I've seen the machines, which, I mean, they can put all those gimmicks that they want into it. But was there anything about it that was allegedly better, even if you bought into the fact that you had to buy uh, their, like, BS uh, special K-cups that only work with this new machine?
1: Well, yes, I mean, ob- obviously, the the true reason is just because, you know, Keurig wants a, a cut of these K-cup sales. But I think what they were telling people publicly was they wanted to make sure that people were getting the highest quality, best coffee possible. And the, the way the, you know, the way to do that would be to have each K cup go through this Kure kind of approval process slash, you know, stamp of approval process.
0: So you mean right. always, always use genuine HP ink. That's ex- exactly right. Yeah. Uh, the th- are Keurig machines that expensive to manufacture? Is it really like a razor blade model, or is it just they want it? They want it both ways. Because they have, they can't be losing money on the machines. Like it's a water heater.
1: Oh yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, they're they're quite expensive.
0: Like printers, I understand that they you know they give it away, but
1: well, and also we didn't link to this specific article, but it also came out just a couple of weeks ago that people have found ways to get around the the limitation and use any sort of K cup they want to. So.
0: The coffee hackers,
1: yeah. Who also who would have seen that coming? Dr- DRM cracked shortly after being released.
0: How soon until you can three D print uh, coffee pods?
1: You know they they actually do. When you buy a Keurig machine, they they'll typically come with a like a, basically like a shell K cup, like a metal one that you can use over and over again, and you can put your own ground coffee in there. Hmm. I've never, I've never done that, and I actually wonder now if these two point machines even support that.
0: I don't remember getting one of those.
1: Well, maybe I, maybe I got a fancy enough model where I got one.
0: Maybe that's like the Green Mountain Coffee equivalent of uh, like a golden ticket from that, uh, from that movie. <laughs> maybe,
1: maybe. Well, I bought it from Costco.
0: So Costco, you know, they just throw everything in the box. <laughs> Was there a chicken bake too? <laughs> there might have been. Oh, chicken bakes. That's the only part I'm uh, sad about letting my Costco membership lash, lapse. Have did you ever buy the frozen ones? No, no, you don't do that. You can't have that easy access to chicken bakes. That's that's irresponsible.
1: Well, so I, I I've done that once, and the you know the worst part they actually um they taste very good. They're surprisingly good, just made at home. So that that part of it's not the issue, but the the problem is you know obviously when you whenever you buy packaged food you get the nutritional facts on the box. And it is it is positively stunning some of the uh nutritional facts on a chicken bake.
0: Is the serving size half? I assume it probably is.
1: I don't think so, no. I think a serving size is the full thing. And it's um I it's been this was years ago that I bought the box of them, but I it was well over a thousand calories. It was something like 70 or 80 percent of your daily sodium intake i mean it it was it was alarming wonderful this this was in college when i bought these though when you know you could kind of just get away with anything
0: back before it was illegal
1: (laughs) right yeah that's right yeah before the big uh uh chicken bake prohibition era
0: obama will uh pry our chicken bakes from our cold dead hands (laughs) that's right okay I don't know. Where else do you want to go? Do you want to do uh some uh photos for apps for the Mac?
1: Sure. I um I, I have not used this, so my my input will be limited, but I'm I'm curious uh to learn more about it.
0: Uh, I, I know nothing about it. Oh great. Well I mean uh, back uh during WWDC, um I don't know if it was um Schiller or Cook or uh who's the other guy? Federighi? That yeah, that's him. Um, I forget who's the uh, who's in charge of OS X software, who would have delivered this. Uh, but they talked about their scrapping iPhoto because they realized it was um, kind of a, a slow piece of... Well, actually, for its credit, it's fine. It's just slow and super out of date. Um, and that they're also uh, getting rid of Aperture, which was their Lightroom competitor for kind of the pro photography set. Um, and they were creating what was called Photos for uh, OS X, uh, similar to what they have on iOS which is supposed to be just streamlined, faster, and just built for kind of the modern uh, day camera phone, smartphone type setup. And it relies heavily on the back end of iCloud and the new I, uh, iCloud photo library beta service. And early reviews of what got seated in the new 10.10.3 release have been overwhelmingly positive. It's a little bit buggy, but it seems good. So I don't know, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic for it because I still, like everything I take on my iPhone uh, gets dumped into iPhoto since I still don't uh, really understand Dropbox carousel.
1: So so what I've read about this new Photos app is that or people have framed it in such a way as to suggest that it's a potential replacement for something like Aperture or I guess more kind of more appropriately maybe now since this is still a piece of software that's being worked on lightroom
0: that is not what i've heard or most people say that it's a very powerful tool for the everyday photos user like it gives you more than you'd expect and it does a lot of what you might want out of lightroom but you still don't get the customization options and um kind of like dslr and like raw support that and management tools that you would expect out of a lightroom so i don't think adobe is is um being kept up at night,
1: not uh, not not shaking in their boots, as you would say.
0: No, no, no. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm optimistic of it, but I guess for me, the bigger question, what I want to get your feedback on, is what do you think about the back end of this, which is going to be um iCloud Photos. Like, do you think you would tr- because the photos component of iCloud, at least for me, has been kind of a big mystery box. Like, I never. I think I'm a, a pretty up with it um, or hip to it uh, technology guy, and I don't understand how uh, Photo Stream works at all. I know there's a thousand photos in it for some uh, for some reason, but I don't get if that's a backup or where my stuff goes. So, do you think you're going to trust the iCloud Photo Library function that's coming out in um, in that release? I mean, yeah, we have we have talked
1: about this on the show, and I I do pretty much just fully trust iCloud. I mean, it, it's my one and only backup source for my iPhone. I don't don't have any local backups or anything like that. I agree that the photo stream part of it isn't the best. It, it still confuses me too. It does things like when you delete a photo right after taking a photo on one of your iOS devices, that photo will still remain in your photo stream even though it's been deleted from your device. Even though I'm pretty sure that when you click delete, it does actually say it won't be in your photo stream anymore. So I that photo stream is a little wonky.
0: Um, well, the, what you just described is it not working, but okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, perhaps. So again, um, I guess that's the part that makes me uh, makes me cautious about trusting them with my entire photo library.
1: So I'm I'm actually not quite so concerned with the functionality. What I'm more curious about is the way that they're pricing this out. So it's my understanding that the the photo library portion of iCloud essentially is going to work and is priced the same way that iCloud in general is where your first 5 gigabytes are free and then from there there are tiers of you know storage which are relatively reasonably priced but are still you know not not trivial
0: well i mean so they used to be priced like insanely high or you know, relative to other services but in part of WWDC, they brought those kind of down to reasonableness, which was you get you can get 50, uh, twenty gigs of total storage space for a buck a month, uh, two hundred gigs for four bucks, and a terabyte for ten dollars, which I think is totally reasonable. It's, it's
1: I yeah I I agree, but um, I just wonder if that's going to really limit the number of people who look to this as being, you know, their primary place where they store photos. As opposed to if Apple were to say, and as a user of photo for OS 10, you know, we're going to give you, I don't know, 500 gigabytes of free storage. Why? Well, because I think that's really the only way that you're going to get a mass amount of people, or I should better, a large number of people to start using this.
0: But I'm not sure, one, I'm not sure they care. Um who uses this? I mean, I hope they they find it as a valuable tool and that their custom- it's more another reason for people to buy a Mac. But I'm not sure they really care that much. And I think if people don't want to pay for it, I think that's Apple's own fault for training people to undervalue software and services by trying to give everything away for free.
1: Well, that's uh that's a fair point.
0: I don't know. Do you ever do you ever uh sometimes get bored and read App Store reviews? <laughs> like whenever you're searching for something do you ever just tap the review tab just to see what i have i have done that yes people with iphones are the worst well like the the, the, mm. the complaints and just just the nonsense like a one star because uh it, it was free but you had to pay a dollar to remove the ads like just it's the worst
1: i would say most people who leave comments on any medium on the internet are generally the worst Like, but, I don't know, Amazon reviews are fine. No, Amazon is just better about filtering the most useful reviews to the top. Because they've got that pretty good voting system where people can say, hey, this review was really helpful. And they actually have, you know, like the most helpful positive review and the most helpful negative review. So right there at the top, you kind of have everything you would need. But if you... Scroll to the bottom or to
0: page two or three. It's the same crap you see everywhere. Hmm. On that note, uh, on Twitter, are you following? Um, where is that? Where is that? Where is that? Where is that? Uh, something like Amazon movie reviews. <laughs> yes, Amazon one-star movie reviews. I forget the actual name of. I the, do too. Uh, um, I'm trying to find it, but it's really it's really good. And I love that they're. Um, their uh, avatar is uh Airbud. <laughs> right.
1: So what, what this is, for people who don't know, th- this is a Twitter account which just takes screenshots of people who leave just the most immature, worthless reviews on movies on Amazon. But they're, I mean, they're just, they're classic. They're usually only a sentence long or even just a couple of words long, but... It's it's really good.
0: Yeah. I think my favorite recently has been one that was for West Side Story. And it says, uh, I quote, uh, it is a musical. I didn't know that. I watched about seven minutes. They were walking around snapping their fingers. I was like, oh, no, is this a musical? <laughs> 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 it's, uh, it's this and uh, there's how many um, not fake accounts, but how many of these kind of like not people accounts do you follow? 'Cause there's a there's a couple good ones.
1: A handful. I the other one I was gonna really recommend. You you might not like this eh, one as Johnny much. Ive. No. Well the the Johnny Ive one I think is pretty good, but there's also one that a friend of mine just got me into this last football season. It's um the uh the the Twitter handle is PFT Commenter, which is it it stands for Pro Football Talk Commenter. There's a, a website at part of NBC Sports Pro Football Talk. And it, one of the things I guess that site has kind of become uh famous for over the years is just the absolute scum comments that they get on basically every news story and so there's this parody twitter account of this guy who acts as one of these commenters but he's he's clearly a very smart guy; he just acts really dumb, and it's just you have to kind of be a in into football to really get most of it but it it's it's really good. He writes articles for SB Nation and stuff, too, in that character, and it's, uh, it's pretty good. This is kind of a random Twitter question. You, you follow Darth, right? Yes, do you? I do, and there hasn't been anything lately.
0: Oh, he's taking a, he's taking a nap from Twitter.
1: Okay, I missed that.
0: I wasn't sure if you were following him, because well, he's, he's, uh, he or she, would, uh, I'm not going to give a gender to the panda, but um, is kind of the best thing in the world. It's just cute dogs all the time. Awesome, timely uh, photoshops. It's 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 the absolute best. It seems to be somebody
1: who perhaps lives in the Bay Area and who is oh definitely pretty well connected
0: to like most of the same sort of like tech personalities that we follow. Yeah, I don't think it's like a, like an Apple like Gruberish thing, but no, he definitely um, it's into the uh, kind of the, the Bay Area tech culture kind of thing.
1: I think yeah, one of my favorite pictures that he ever posted was the one of the mornings that there was a strike going on on BART and all of the entrances were closed. Like the way that they closed the actual entrances where you scan your clipper card is they'll put like a little red kind of, you know, cross thing to say, hey, you can't go through here. And then Dar's caption was just like, or it's just just a regular day on BART because (laughs) those things are always broken. Yeah. And that was pretty
0: good. Pretty good.
1: And this has been your uh, weekly Twitter recommendation brought to you by Squarespace.
0: Don't say that until they send us a check. <laughs> okay, well yeah, we'll cut that out. Can, can I? Can I make an, uh, an embarrassing confession? Sure. um I downloaded the Mailchimp app on my iPhone just because I like seeing Freddy on my home screen. Is that, no, that sad?
1: That's pretty embarrassing.
0: Yeah, dude, it's the best icon ever. Like Freddy is a really good uh, mascot. Mailchimp, whoever does like all the marketing stuff there's on point like it's a good product wait uh damn it's turning into a free ad but um it they they just do everything right
1: well so you you know the ad campaign they had running for a while the hats for cats things no the the billboards they were putting up
0: oh yeah again it has freddy it makes everybody happy yeah, until so it got I, graffitied in, in oakland like you told me
1: <laughs> so there, there was one near my office in oakland and then there were there was one on the near the 101 as well down on the peninsula and i I want to say that I had heard that they were in some other cities across the country as well. And th- these were just billboards where it was a kind of a sky blue background and then just a, you know, just a photo of Freddie with n- absolutely no other, you know, no wording, no, you know, trademark, nothing. There was no words on it at all, which seems, I don't know, I, that seems bold.
0: Well, I think because people, the audience they're trying to reach, I think generally kind of already knows of its existence,
1: yeah, maybe, but are those really the people you need to advertise
0: to? I think it's I think you do a little bit, hmm. they've got to keep it front of mind so that they know oh, my next project I saw the I saw the 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 wonderful monkey <laughs> perhaps yes, <sighs> okay, anyway, so yeah i i iCloud photos wait how did this what, what happened
1: i what what has happened to the show i don't no know.
0: i I genuinely don't um we were talking about it and then we stopped at some point.
1: Yeah, who who knows.
0: Um I'm not sure I'm, I don't know. I It's tricky. I don't think the pricing is going to keep me away, but I just like trusting all your photos. I don't know that that's tricky. Like moving my 40 gigabyte iPhone library up to iCloud photos, like it seems very convenient. But like does Actually, that that's a different topic. Do you think app like you know how Google has Google Takeout, right? Yes. Do you know that you know what that is?
1: Um no, actually, I guess i don't i was I was thinking of um Google Shopping
0: Express, that's not the same thing. No um Google takeout is a service where they allow you to export all of your data out of Google oh, in extremely right. um like legible and like easy to like manage little packets. Do you think Apple has any obligation to do that as they start hosting more people's data? like let's say one day Apple is not the like innovation leader and they don't make a product you actually want. Is there going to be a good way to get your five years or 10 years of photos out of it? And do they have an obligation to do that?
1: An obligation? No, but certainly I think it's become a more and more expected part of the the customer experience, not only with your google example but with things like you know most blogging platforms now have some very simple like export function um it just it's just sort of a more standard feature with most platforms now so it's something they should do i don't think it's something
0: they're obligated to do though they currently don't have anything like that right
1: no i mean if you as far as i know if if you want to switch off of ios and, and go to android I'm not sure why, but let's just say that's something you'd want to do. I don't know of any way to export, like let's say, your contacts and your photos and your iMessage history, all this kind of stuff. I, I don't think there's really any easy way to. Get... I'm sure there are, you know, some crazy tools out there where if you make a local backup of your iPhone and then you go into some XML file or something, you might be able to figure something out. But I, I don't think there's any, you know, easy way to do that.
0: Maybe that'll be part of the uh, iCloud improvements that they make for iOS nine. Oh, man, you
1: just so spot on with the transition lately. We've I, come a, we've come a long way.
0: I don't want to toot my own horn, but I think I'm 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 on it this week. I I mean you're you're always on it. Um, but I'm yeah, just,
1: I'm just trying to keep up.
0: So, um, uh, Mark Gurman at Nine to Five Mac gave uh, a couple of scoops on upcoming iOS releases, and the big news uh, to me uh, was that there's the possibility that iOS nine will be kind of a was it Snow Leopard or um, Mountain Lion? Which was the one that was the bug fix release?
1: Well, it both, but Snow Leopard was the first one.
0: So Snow Leopard, like, I think that was 10.6, um, where they said no big Hallmark features. We're just going to work on, like, uh, cutting out the cruft and uh, just making everything uh, lighter and faster. And that happened to be one of the most stable and rock-solid uh, OS X releases they ever had. And I'm extremely encouraged that that might uh, be happening to iOS, which I think definitely needs it. iOS 8 was a very, very good release in terms of the extensibility, um, but it still seems rough around the edges. It took four months for one of the most basic bugs in the world to get fixed, which, which was the sharing extension ordering. So it's just weird stuff like that that I think I, I just hope they fix.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I mostly agree, but I I think what is going to be really interesting, and this was the the comment I left for you as we were going back and forth on this earlier in the week, is you know I can already see all the all the you know iOS nine has no new major features, therefore Apple's doomed headlines. You just you know that's coming. I think there's there's less and less an expectation with desktop software that we're going to get these new big innovative features, which is why I think. Snow Leopard and more more recently Mountain Lion, you know, there really hasn't been any sort of big outcry when Apple's come out and said, hey, you know, we're we're we're, more focused under the hood. We're not really focused about user-facing features here. But I still think there's a huge expectation with mobile devices that every year there needs to be these new UI tweaks and, you know, new pieces of software. There really needs to be meaningful changes every year. And I don't agree that's a fair expectation, but I just think that that is the expectation most people have.
0: So you don't think we've reached the point where most of those features are in there? Like, do, do you think Apple has ta- uh, tackled or or uh, grabbed all the low-hanging fruit in iOS other than the stability concerns? Like, I don't think this means they're going to rest on their laurels with respect to hardware improvements with iPhone 6S or whatever comes out next. But do you do you think there's a bunch missing in terms of software features?
1: Not a bunch. I mean, one of the ones that always comes to mind for me are uh, interactive application icons. I've always thought that's been one of those things that's hanging out there that... I don't think that's ever going to happen. Oh, I, th- I think it will. Um,
0: I, I do you, do you it's, mean it's... widgets? Because I think the Today, uh, the today window little swipe down thing in notification centers about as close as you're going to get the home screen will never look like android where it's very customizable
1: i just i mean very very simple things like if you have a weather app you ought to be able to by just looking at your home screen and looking at the the icon of the app what the weather is or um you know with your calendar maybe it can show you Number of appointments you have today, something like that. I know that well, that there's, already there's, kind of
0: happens, doesn't that?
1: Kind of with the the notification badges. There are ways that people have kind of not hacked, but you know have kind of creatively used that badge for purposes like that. But it, I think it, I think it'd be nice to have more interactive app icons. The the widgets are are a step in the right direction, but okay. So, well, n- no offense, or I mean.
0: I, no, I don't, no, no, no offense taken. You well, no, I, I don't think shoo, that shoot down my idea. That's no, what. I just don't think that ever would. Like, while that might be cool, I don't ever think that would be like a. a there would never be an advertising campaign around that feature. So I'm not necessarily. I think that could, t- if that wanted, if Apple wanted to make that a priority, I think that totally could be part of, um, like a Snow Leopard style release. Like that's not a crazy big feature. So I, I don't know.
1: We'll see. I I think it's um, I think it's a it's a different strategy. It's not one that Apple's really ever tried before with iOS. Um, well, what was iOS three?
0: Like, which was there was there was one that like the um, App Store came out, and there was one that was just kind of like a mess.
1: Wasn't iOS three co- copy and paste? <laughs>
0: oh god, it's it, it's hard to remember that there was a time period where uh, copy and paste and MMS um were just were not features. On the well, iPhone, it's
1: also getting harder and harder to remember back before multitasking, before being able to you know double tap the home button and just quickly switch between apps.
0: Yeah, back do you remember when uh, Steve Jobs used to say, uh "Oh, you don't need actual third party applications; you can just make <laughs> web apps."
1: Very, very clearly. Uh, it's... And they, 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 didn't they have a, Um, there was like a separate event for that, right? Where, you know, the the iPhone was announced in January, but then they didn't, didn't they have some other like event right before June when it came out? And that, that's where they officially came out and said, yeah, you know, no SDK,
0: web apps are great. They did. And I remember, <laughs> I think I watched this on YouTube not long ago, because uh, I was really bored and I was trying to refer to something, but they, uh, where he, he uh, demonstrated the ability to add home screen icons for particular websites. And it looks so crappy, and he—you could tell he was kind of like just faking enthusiasm for it. Because like, I know this is shitty, but I just wait a year.
1: So do you, I, I? I forget if this was addressed in the the Steve Jobs book or not. But I always, I always was kind of of the opinion that Apple knew they wanted to do native third party apps. They just knew they weren't going to be ready for version one and they they just didn't really want to say that initially.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely. Yeah. Which I don't,
1: I don't know. I that. In retrospect, that seems really disingenuous. But at the same time, from a marketing perspective, I don't know how—I don't know how you pitch your, this new device by saying, "Oh yeah," and this huge, major, kind of game-changing feature for it's not going to be available for another year.
0: Well, I think the another example of that is you remember when uh, Steve Jobs uh, or early Apple said, um, you, you, "Why would you ever want to watch a video on an iPod?" But yes, I remember that too. I mean, stuff like that, like like anticipating and knowing where the market is going, but understanding that it's not there yet, it is a powerful tool. And I'm not saying that was a Steve Jobs uh, like um, trait. I think that's an Apple trait. And I think there's a lot of people at Apple who understand that kind of thing. And of course, like they're they're trying to move products this quarter. They're not trying to hint, oh, just wait a couple of years. Real cool stuff's coming out. So I don't know.
1: Yeah, and then you know, there's more modern examples too. The larger screen iPhone and the smaller screen iPad, I think, are are two things that Apple has had previously said, Yeah, you know, we don't really have any interest in this. This isn't really something we ever plan on doing. And then sure sure enough, we have the iPhone six and the iPad mini.
0: Well, I'm not necessarily sure those are actually good ideas, but <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oh, you just gotta get your little digs in every well, week.
0: Next year I want a four point three inch. S6 or 6S.
1: Has there ever been a point cuz you're you're a long time, you know, Apple um supporter. Long time user of Apple products. Yeah, it, it, it goes more back to while, yeah. A- a- is this the lowest point you've ever been at? What do you mean? Just in terms of your displeasure with most of the Apple products you own.
0: I'm not dis- I'm not displeased. So I was going to say displeasured. I'm not displeased. Other than this janky MacBook Pro I'm staring at. With its with its awful display, which with its beautiful uh image retaining display. Um, and an iPhone that's slightly too big, I don't really have a lot of complaints. I have very I have a lot I have many tiny ones.
1: So it seems like so that the Apple devices that you own, your the main ones are this the MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. your iPhone, mm-hmm. iPad, and Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Um and going going through those products, as you've already said, your MacBook Pro is basically busted. Because you bought a, you know, you bought a I bought, I bought, first gen. No, I bought,
0: like, I'm the jackass that buys the first gen everything. I held out so long on the iPad, and I still bought the crappy first gen iPad.
1: So then, as you've also already
0: said, you know, you you think the iPhone is too big. I think it's slightly too big, but I very much <laughs> like the six, and I just don't like the. Um, I don't like that you can't have it without a case. See, I don't. I don't use mine with a case, and I have. I have no problem. It's just it doesn't feel right. And the camera bulge is very bothersome. <laughs> uh, you
1: don't you don't have any use for your iPad. And then, and then we we spent like we spent like half of last week's show talking about how much you hate Apple TV. So it just seems like all the Apple products you own that you just have some you know fundamental disagreement with right now.
0: I think I'm somebody that has it good and I'm looking for things to pick on. <laughs>
1: It's just, this is never enough. You're just, you're insatiable.
0: Well, I don't think so. I and, and also like not, not to say like, uh, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like when you become accustomed, like I'm sure somebody who is still using an Android phone on like Android 2.2 or something, like it's all relative. Like their complaints might be stuff that like, like I can't believe their problems or their their issues, whereas. Me having minor complaints about this, like it's just you're always looking for stuff that could be better, because you don't have to worry about the big stuff.
1: Yes and no, but I, I the way that I look at it is when I so I when I first got when I bought your first original iPhone and then shortly thereafter bought my first MacBook Pro, I actually was sort of disappointed with both in some ways because I thought the way that you had to you know plug in your phone to sync contacts was really janky. Hold on.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. I but if I'm I might be mistaking this, but your previous phone was a sliver. What the hell were <laughs> you thinking? No, that's not a fair comparison.
1: No, but the, but the point I'm trying to make is that I I felt a number of years ago, this would like 2009, 2010. I felt back then that there was still a lot of untapped potential and a lot of things that I was sort of just kind of just disappointed with being kind of a you know an, an Apple user with both my laptop and phone. But now that we've got, you know, the iCloud thing figured out and we've got this, you know, crazy, um, you know, app ecosystem, all this stuff, I actually feel like we're
0: in a, we're in a great spot now. Uh, y- yes, sure. Again, it all comes back to, <laughs> this is going to sound super weird. It all comes back to your grandmother. Um, like she's, she has a social network that she can connect to on a device that has always-on internet everywhere that is easy enough for her to use, that doesn't need antivirus, that has almost no upkeep, and she can use it to enrich her life by talking to people she cares about. Like, that's pretty great. It's still not, like, the the world I want because I'm more of a power user, but, like, that's, that's awesome. Like, computing used to suck a decade ago. Like, it's always getting better, but it used to be so much worse, and I think we lose sight of that.
1: Well, I I think you you've lost sight of that. <laughs> what? Because you're still complaining. It's it's so much better now, but you're still not satisfied.
0: Well, it, why why be content? <laughs> Thomas Edison wasn't content. <laughs> Except I'm the guy I'm the guy who just complained about what Thomas Edison was making.
1: Oh man, I feel like I feel like you just I feel like you just proved my point.
0: Hold on, it's not like I'm as uh some guy on the internet saying that uh, Uber is Rosa Parks. So let's. Oh God, that was the best and worst thing ever. So are we? Are we
1: just? Are we getting into this? No, 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 the... no, no. Okay.
0: Sorry. What, what were we talking about? No, I don't have that many complaints about it. I feel sometimes I feel like John Syracuse a, a tiny bit, but it's just knowing that things could be better. But then, no, I I definitely appreciate what what I have, and I appreciate this iPad a hell of a lot more now that I have a good keyboard for it.
1: So are we gonna? Are, I thought this was something we were gonna save. Are we gonna get into this a little bit here?
0: No, no, I'm not talking about it yet. It's just it's become infinitely more useful to me um, now. Now that it has a good keyboard,
1: you're also you know in addition to your just absolutely spot on transitions, you're getting really good at sort of teasing out what we're going to be talking about in future episodes.
0: Well, again, so I'll, I'll, and I'll just I'll I'll give a quick summary of what I hope to talk about. But I, I've had complaints that I continue like every couple of years I'll buy an iPad and I'll have thoughts of what I could do with it, and it's always underwhelming, and I never use it, and it gets used for crosswords once a week and the air two is is fast enough and capable enough and i think ios 8 the software's matured and it seems like it's time where the ipad air could be that product and for the first couple weeks i had it it definitely wasn't and now it's got a keyboard and it might be so to be continued
1: you know we we have talked a lot on the show about sort of the method of input, at least in my opinion being a kind of huge limiting factor with mobile devices i wonder I wonder if this is gonna kind of help prove that point not not to spoil anything. I just wonder if that's the direction I'm we'll going to say something it.
0: I'm totally gonna regret, but the surface does so many things right, not the software, mind you, but the kickstand and the type cover are. Fantastic ideas. I, I
1: completely agree. I, I think, man, it's like, uh, I, uh, part of me really, really would love to have a way where I could play with the Surface I for a period I, of time. I, I wish I somebody wish,
0: would rent me a Surface for a hundred bucks for a month. I wish Done. what I, well, I
1: actually wish what I could do is I wish that I could replace my laptop at work with a Surface and really go all in on using the Surface at work and using it as my primary tablet at home. So basically replace both my work laptop and my iPad. That'd be a really, I think, kind of interesting experiment.
0: Can't you ask?
1: We know we don't. A um, Surface isn't part of our, we've got like a, a set of, I think, three or four Windows computers that we support. Uh, they're all Lenovo's. And then we've got Mac MacBook Pros and mac or actually yeah we have both MacBook Pros and MacBook Airs on the on the Mac side.
0: Do you have to virtualize Windows for most of the things you do? I I I use a I use a Lenovo. I don't use a Mac at work. I'm saying if like does somebody on your team or does it has anybody chosen the Mac? No, not not on the finance team. Gotcha. Because it would have to be in Windows, wouldn't it? Just because of the Excel for Mac weirdnesses.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd have to virtualize Windows, which is actually not something that I I don't actually don't know if we support that. Um you also have to have a crazy amount of ram because you need a lot of memory for virtualization and you need a lot of memory for running just larger excel files. spreadsheets yeah. yeah so um i'm actually i'm getting a new uh, carbon x1 i'm pretty excited about that
0: same uh, same machine just better specs
1: yeah same same machine uh, they've made some you know tweaks to the hardware with like the keyboard and stuff and then it's uh, i7 instead of an i5, and then eight gigabytes of RAM instead of four. Can you believe I still I still only have four gigabytes of RAM in that in that machine?
0: Four gigabytes of RAM should be enough for anybody.
1: <laughs> I just upgraded this Mac Mini to sixteen gigabytes. That's crazy.
0: Weren't you the one giving me crap when I when my busted MacBook Pro that I have? <laughs> I, I I spent like the extra two hundred dollars to go from eight to sixteen. <laughs> that sounds like something I would do. Yes. There's got to be somebody I can complain to about the di- about the display.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the uh, the the person you can talk to is a sales rep at an a- uh, Apple store when you buy the new 12 inch MacBook Air.
0: <sighs>
1: <laughs> because see, the, so the thing the thing that I'm becoming increasingly good at on the <laughs> show is I just I just know I just know your little I just know the little things that are going to get you mad. Just these little.
0: These little buttons I can press. Because here's the problem. Like, this keyboard has basically turned this iPad into a 12-inch MacBook Air, and it's pissing me off. Because <laughs> why, can't, why can't I just well, see, have what I want? Th-
1: see, this is, this is what's great. This is also what's great, is you, you complain about the things that you don't like, and then it makes you upset when you figure those things out, when, like when you improve upon those things.
0: What do you mean? I mean when you when you work out a
1: solution it just makes you mad.
0: No, but it's not a solution because it's 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 if the real thing exist existed it would just be so much better.
1: Have you ever thought that you just that you just like to be disappointed in things sort of like you know in the Syracusan kind of way. You just that that's kind of just your thing.
0: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean I think I think somebody
1: like like John he's like you know, we're we're on a first name basis as you know. Um, that's just become sort of his shtick. And I think it, I think it works. And I mean, maybe, maybe that's the the road you can go down too. It's. <sighs> see, I know, see, I know this is something that
0: gets you flustered too. So no, because it's not true, but it's, but it is true. That's the problem. I don't think I had that. The five S was a near perfect product. The five.
1: <sighs> oh, see, I, oh God. See, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree more. The five S was awful.
0: No, it wasn't. What are you it talking about? It was so, it was so
1: disappointing.
0: If they made a 5S that ran iOS 6, I, I would just die happy. <laughs> because every time I see somebody with an iOS 6 phone, I, I I think I've talked about this a couple times, it's just so fast. Like, it's insane. <laughs> like, I don't care about control you should center. Find, there, there's got to be some
1: way that you can well, with jailbreak or read. I don't even know what the right phrase is. It's because it's
0: like. 64-bit. You can't. Oh, okay. I want I I'd
1: I'd like to think that there's some team of people out there working on like updating iOS 6 to be 64-bit compatible so they can run like iOS 6 on an iPhone 6. That'd be great. I I'd really hope that there's just somebody out there cranking away at
0: that. <laughs> it, it the screen the resolution would not work. It would look like everything's unoptimized oh yeah know
1: there, there would be all kinds of like there'd be all kinds of crazy things like the your phone would like reboot every time you try to play music or oh you
0: mean when iOS 7 came out <laughs> boom
1: oh man you you are you are on fire this week you are you're in fuego it's just, all right um and we haven't even gotten to the good
0: stuff yet that's what no crazy. the good stuff's gonna be terrible because it's sad good stuff you you have built it up too much you're the one that keeps alluding to it Anyway.
1: Even the, even the train's mad. Shut up. I'm muting it. Nah, the people can still hear it.
0: No, they can't. No, they, they might be able to hear a little bit of it. You better... Since I don't actually listen to these, you better not, like, get all fancy and start putting artificial train sounds. <laughs> I just... I, from our
1: first episode where the train was really loud, I've just... I've taken that background noise and I've just subtly dropped it in. All my new uh, logic skills.
0: <laughs> and then... I'll re-edit the same file and I'll hack into your Squarespace account and I'll put just a sound of uh, bros uh, in the marina.
1: <laughs> I, that's actually, speaking of Logic, that, that's something, it's a topic I want to come back to. So we uh, we started doing the editing for the show in Logic this last week. And, and by um, we, we mean you. And by we, I I mean me, yeah. And um, I, do you ever do that? I actually, I, I like doing that. I enjoy, um, even when it's not really a team effort, like, you know, in the case of editing the show, I still like to give you credit. And and to use the uh use the it's not really the royal we, but you know, something similar to that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, um this was the first week. I I apologize. I, I think there so there's this mode where you can like strip all the silent parts of the show out, which makes editing a little bit quicker and easier. And I, I think I was a little too aggressive with that. So I think some of our some of our dialogue got a little cut in this last episode. Not too bad, but Um, I didn't see, I didn't notice the part in Marco's post where he had some recommended settings for that. So I'm going to start using that this week, but, um, yeah, I I want to use that for a few more weeks and then maybe talk a little bit about that on the show. Cool.
0: Yeah. And the turnaround time on the episodes has been uh, fantastic recently.
1: Yeah. I've, I've gotten, I've gotten the, uh, the workflow, as as you say, uh, down, down to a science. Nice. Yeah.
0: Is it hosted on Squarespace seven?
1: It is, yeah. They actually forced you to go to Squarespace seven. They stopped supporting Squarespace six. The, the transition to five to six was very, very gradual. But six to seven, they're like, "Hey, if you don't do it, we're going to do it for you." So, I still don't really know how to use Squarespace, though, as we've <laughs> as we've talked about.
0: It seems so simple and yet so complicated at the same time.
1: It's it's baffling. I, you know, just the simplest things, I just I just don't know how to do. And and part of it is I'm just not. I'm not very creative and I don't think I have very good like web design skills so even if I did know how to use some of the tools I still don't know if I'd be able to make a legitimately good looking website but yeah there's just so much about Squarespace where you you kind of sit there and I don't, don't really even know even know where to start but it is great for hosting a podcast though the way that they Create iTunes compatible RSS feeds is um, that that part is really intuitive and really great. Nice, and that you know that's what we need. Yeah. Even though I am paying forty dollars a month or forty dollars a year, <laughs> not forty dollars a month, <laughs> forty dollars a year for uh, our .dot tv domain.
0: You gotta go. How much is a .dot fm? I think we've talked about this, but
1: I think it was. I think it was even more, right? I think it was. But
0: you're, you're you can afford it.
1: No, so you. You were the one who was all jazzed about .tv. Well, the op
0: the other option was like .org or something. <laughs> and again, I've got a .org. I forget that.
1: What? Well, man, what were some of the domains we went through a few episodes back? .dot .dot famous or .dot rich. I whatever, whatever the. Oh,
0: I was gonna say, um, uh, I I was gonna register for you as a joke, but then I, it was too much money. Um, Uber Motorcade .dot luxury. Oh, dot, dot luxury. Dot
1: luxury was our favorite, and it was something like what was a thousand dollars a year or something. It wasn't that
0: much, but it just it was it was too it was much a for a joke.
1: It was the most. It was the most of any of the domains that we had seen. Hold on,
0: seven hundred eighty dollars a year. Yeah,
1: oh. I thought it was close to a thousand bucks. Can I register it at Hover? Oh, I, I I don't think it'd be much cheaper.
0: Well, no, it's just I love Hover.
1: <laughs> well, go for it uh all right i would love i would love for you to buy that domain so that i can that i can put together a crummy looking squarespace site for you yeah uh anyway what what again what what has happened we we keep getting side railed yeah. derailed side derailed i think sure yeah i don't know yeah okay right. is, is it is it time time for what the the big the big topic
0: It's not a big topic. Um, So, yeah, we're just going to – we're finally – we're going to – we're going to get most of uh, the past couple months of Uber stuff out of the way. And we'll just talk about Uber in general and just kind of what services like it mean for, like, society. Not to make it too grand, but, like – (laughs) No,
1: yeah, no, not, you know, not to – not to, you know,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, not thinking about it as a rider or or as a car sharer or whatever the hell Lyft calls it. Um, Like, it's just, you know, like – macroeconomically (laughs) again not to uh to put too big of a a scale around no it's not but you you understand that uh, you understand how fast uber has grown correct it's stunning yes do you think that that is going to have a uh an economic impact on the transportation industry
1: you know i i've been thinking about this some and I, I think it's 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 hard to say because we get so swept up in it living in a big city or, you know, in your case, near near a big city, <laughs> a, a big city that you visit frequently.
0: <laughs> Thanks.
1: Um, I'm sorry. Um, so I you know, like it, it, even if, if I go home to Orange County or to San Diego, you know, m- many of my friends and some of my family haven't even heard of Uber or they have maybe heard of it but just because of the news you know they haven't heard of it in the context of like something that they've used before so i don't know i i feel like sometimes we we get caught up as we've also talked about on the show from time to time get caught up in kind of this this bubble and in this case it's not even just it's not really a San Francisco bubble it's more of just like a big city bubble where you know we think that taxi use and which has now, you know, evolved into using Uber. We think this is this revolutionary life-changing thing, but to to be honest, I don't even think I had ever ridden in a taxi until I was like 22 and first moved to San Francisco, you know. So um so I, I don't know. It's hard to say the impact this is having on the country as a whole and like in, on the world as a whole outside of major cities. But
0: major cities are where most of these industries operate.
1: True, but I I just mean in terms of when we talk about Uber having impacts on like you know air quotes society, I think it's it it's a it's a maybe it's large in terms of just number of people because I mean obviously a lot of people do live in big cities, but in terms of the percentage of like total people in a country that Uber's you know. Impacting, it's hard to say. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a very good sense
0: for that. So, but again, going back to what I, what I, the original question I had asked, which is, are are you impressed with Uber's growth rate? You say they are growing impressively, and they will continue to do so. So that will therefore impact more and more people as they grow and displace other methods of uh, transportation.
1: That is a fair statement.
0: Okay. Like in this area, do you think do you think fewer people are using taxicabs, or is that I don't know if that's redundant. (laughs) But um, do you think they're using them less than they did five years ago? Oh, absolutely. Do you think eventually there will be fewer taxi drivers on the road? Yes. Do you think there will be a point where it's unsustainable for taxi drivers to exist? I do, yeah. Do you think that Uber and the availability of transportation to uh, middle class and upper middle class people uh, will negatively affect investment in public transportation? I'm not as sure about that. I'm pretty pretty sure on that one, but it's it's all those those issues that I think should make people think more about it. Just generally, in the sense that, uh, and also, so you don't think Uber is priced too cheaply. You think it's priced fairly. I don't I don't know. I'm actually
1: um as as much as I've defended Uber on that point, it's the the defense has been I'm not I'm not saying that I know that what they're putting out there for pricing is sustainable. I'm just saying that there isn't any way for us to yet
0: know. Um so I'm going to for the sake of my arguments, I'm going to say yes it is because you know it is. Okay. Right. I if you had to guess well, I like I know I understand you're hedging your bet and you're because there's no certainty around it but if you had to take if you had to think is their current pricing sustainable and is it close to the actual cost of services would you say it probably is or isn't
1: I I would say particularly with things like this whole $5 Uber pool thing that they've had for quite a while now and with the continuous discounting of UberX I would say I if if I had to guess I would I would lean towards agreeing with you.
0: Okay. Cuz I I guess my 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 issue with the company and which I've uh, commonly referred to as the cactus of society. Just <laughs> and again for this argument we're go- we're going to kind of set aside all of the um like PR issues they've had, all like the, their awful um, executives and like district managers using internal information that's proprietary to track and stalk people and prying people's lives and stuff. But that their artificially low prices are only there because venture back, uh, like they're a venture backed company that has access to tons of cash that can use it to suffocate other competitors so that those are eliminated, and then once they become the only game in town, they can raise them to a more sustainable level. Do you think that's fair? I, I I tend to agree with that, yes. Because the only ways they can do that, they either have to start charging more for the services, or they have to eliminate other costs, which they've already stated will be the human beings eventually. But I'm not sure either of those are actually better for customers as a whole. Because while people are happy that there are ridiculously low prices available right now, that's not really in their long-term best interest. Because most industries are regulated for a reason, like okay, or like for example, energy prices and everything else.
1: Well, yeah, the energy, the energy price example is a little tough though, because or I mean
0: utilities in general. Well, but utilities are there isn't the.
1: There isn't the infrastructure cost with Uber that there is with something like utilities. There, that, there that is the, definitely
0: true, and we'll we'll get into that into their uh, sketchy uh, independent contractor thing.
1: Well, let me put it this way: so if you if you had if you take somebody like, let's say Elon Musk, he's just kind of the first guy that comes to mind. Somebody who has, for the purposes of this conversation, basically unlimited capital and could you know really do anything that he wanted to do. He could get into any market that he wanted to get into. If he wanted to try to replace PG&E in San Francisco and become, the, you know, if he wanted to basically create a new electric company, he wouldn't be able to do that. It doesn't matter how much money he has. He just simply, given the laws we have around regulating utilities, he wouldn't be able to do that. Whereas, if he did want to try to create some type of Uber competitor, he could do that. He could go out, get a fleet of vehicles, create a smartphone app, and he could go out and do that. So, I, I don't, that's not directly, that's not a direct comparison.
0: I think I'm, I more mean, sorry, um, like the taxi industry, like just other things where fares and the way the customers are handled and that kind of stuff is regulated to a point. Like, I don't know, it's it's just, it's tricky, and I'm just not sure that's actually, in the end, the best thing for the consumer. And it's, it's just, it's that people don't necessarily know what's good for them because they're getting something out of it. I think this is kind of, in a lot of ways, the Google problem, where people get their search for free or at an unsustainable cost, yet they're exchanging their privacy for it. It's not a perfect example, but it's kind of... Yeah, I'm not sure that actually works. So,
1: so, well, so is is the direction that you're going with this, you're saying that, let, let's let assume that what, you know, you're saying is true and that Uber's current business model, specifically the way they price their service, is, is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so they, they use this as a tactic to gain virtually 100% of the market or close to it, push out most competitors and become sort of the de facto standard for, you know ride-sharing or taxi service, whatever whatever we're calling this. That's
0: absolutely correct.
1: And then at some point in the future, let's say two years from now or something, these prices start to then gradually increase to a level where they are profitable and maybe that level is something which is as much, if not more, than what we were already paying for traditional cabs. That's kind of the the scenario that you're pointing to.
0: It's very close, yes.
1: Okay. There's just yeah. There's just a lot of. I, th- I think it's. I think it's something to be cognizant of. I just think that there's a lot of what ifs in that scenario, and we just we just don't have enough information yet to be able to determine whether
0: that's likely to happen or not. I don't. I think we do. I, while we'll never have the actual data as to how much money they're losing.
1: Well, that's that's not true. I mean, I they could
0: very easily become a public company, and we'd find out overnight. But they would lose that advantage. So why would they? They need to stay private because they have no issues raising the money they need to be able to fund their operations until they can eliminate the competitors. And then when they uh, open up their books, they can and they're now responsible to uh, their shareholders to generate more profits than just uh, dial up the uh, dial up the the revenue by um, just raising prices. Because what are people going to do? Hmm. I don't know. Like it's 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 a particularly frustrating company because it's a company that most people like, and I general like like the service. I I do like, but like people seem to only get mad at them when surge pricing comes out, and surge pricing is something that illustrates the something that might be maybe closer to the truer cost of the service. That's that's the tricky part.
1: I mean, it, it's it, it's tricky though because we just don't know. And I think, I I think until we know, it's just really hard. It's really hard to move the the narrative forward past the point where we would need to know this information. You know, like it's in in the scenario that we were just talking about, where you do we 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 come to this point where we do realize, you know, hey, their current business model isn't sustainable, they have to raise prices, it's hard to think much beyond that because we don't even know if we're ever even going to get to that point.
0: I think we are going to get to that point because smartphones are ubiquitous and it's a better system, no doubt about it, but there's no real competition taking place.
1: Well, and that's actually part of, to me, that's also part of what's crazy is that I I totally understand that with traditional cabs, you know, prices are heavily heavily regulated. So there's not much they can do and to compete with that. But at the very least, it seems like by now companies like Yellow Cab and I I can't really think of many other big cab companies in the Bay Area, but Fog City or whatever, um they still haven't come out with good iPhone apps, for example. Things that people take for granted now with Uber—it's just. Have you ever tried a, that
0: flywheel thing? I never have, but isn't that their main application?
1: I guess, in fairness, I haven't. It is. Um, I, I certainly haven't heard many people use it, and I and I have, and I I, I, I have heard of, and just have quite a few friends who regularly use. Um, you know your friends at Lyft. And so, you know, I feel like something like flywheel doesn't really seem to be even on par with, with something like Lyft.
0: Yeah, I guess. So I'm going to, I'm going to read something. So there's somebody who actually has made the point that I think I'm trying to make a lot more eloquently. And I guess I want you to give me your take on it. So this is from uh, Matt Buchanan, who writes for the all, where he writes, uh, the problem that these people have with surge pricing is rooted in the way, uh, is rooted in the certainty that one day Uber, which is undercharging for its services in a dr- uh, dramatically unsustainable way in order to fuel outrageous levels of growth, is going to win the comp- uh, the competition. And when it does, after eliminating taxis and other car services and maybe some forms of public transit in some cities, it will extract a terrible toll for the convenience probably when people need it most. Do you think that could happen or that has bits of truth in it?
1: Um, I I certainly don't think that when people see 2.2x on their phone, they're in any way thinking about oh, this is an indication that the current economic model of Uber isn't sustainable. Therefore, the price I'm now paying under surge pricing is more likely to be what I'm going to pay in the future. No, I, I don't think that's what is crossing anybody's mind. No, I don't think it's suggesting.
0: I don't think it's suggesting that people are thinking that. I think the surge pricing is what people should be cautious about and why people get so upset in the sense that they're getting they're being lulled into adopting the service under the false guise of artificially low prices.
1: I I I do agree that the kind of the worst case scenario for this this whole thing would be Prior to Uber, we had an industry that the tax taxi cab industry, which was heavily regulated to prevent things exactly like surge pricing. Where, if for one reason or another, due to weather or due to just normal rush hour traffic, whatever the case may be, we had regulations in place with the taxi services to prevent basically price gouging. And, you know, Uber has come and you know i think one of the ways that they sort of have gotten away to this point with surge pricing is even at something like 2x or 2.5x which is generally about as high as it gets under normal circumstances those prices are actually still somewhat reasonable a little bit more than a regular cab but you know still not not exorbitant but i think the issue then becomes if uber does follow the kind of narrative that you just you know, came out with in that quote, where they raised their base price to a a much higher level, and then they also continue to implement this whole idea of surge pricing, then what we're going to be left with is our kind of regulated taxi cab industry basically going out of business. So we've kind of lost those protections. And what we're going to be left with is Uber following a model where the base prices are high, and then they kind of use surge pricing to go even crazier, which is the very thing that the regulations that taxi companies face today was trying to prevent. I think that that's kind of what you're. I think that's what this whole
0: thing is is saying, right? I think it is, and I also want to clarify that I don't disagree with surge pricing. What what I what I'm saying is that that when people see that they get upset that they don't see the artificially low prices that they're used to
1: which so i can... I, I i do agree, I, I, I agree that it's sur- the idea of let's call it let's even just call it like dynamic pricing because i think surge <laughs> pricing well i mean you know what i mean right it's surge the pricing is it is but the 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 phrase surge pricing has
0: sort of gained this um demand responsive N- pricing is what <laughs> right. it is right exactly oh, well i mean that's the economic concept of what it is right um
1: so I, I think you know dynamic pricing or whatever, whatever we're calling it here. I, I agree. I, I don't think that's fundamentally the problem, but I think the issue is where because of a lack of competition, like you can really only have dynamic pricing in a competitive market, right? I think when if you have no. dynamic pricing in an uncompetitive market, I think that the dynamics can be swung totally against the consumer
0: in a really negative way well no i think dynamic pricing works to because you have a limited resource you have to allocate it the best way you can by extracting the most value out of it for like each instance of it so no you have only so many cars that you can have on the road and surge pricing encourages more drivers to get out on the road you're just trying to make as much money as possible in those situations
1: yeah, but then I think you know the the kind of feel like we've almost switched roles here. I'm like making your argument. It feels like though, then the fear would be that if in this hypothetical future where Uber is for all intents and purposes the only you know taxi service available, you know what what if it's it's regular? What if it's regular at five o'clock during the week, where you know the traffic is higher and and more people are using Uber that a majority of consumers are priced out of being able to use Uber. That that's that would be that would be the problem, right?
0: <sighs> and I yes think Yes and yes and no. Hmm, that and that I think, that's actually, I, hmm.
1: I think that's sort of I think that's sort of what some of the regulations that taxi companies face today are, are trying to prevent. You know, because you could have a situation with Uber where let's say that during you know during peak usage times there's there's a regular you know 2x surge or church price whatever you want to call it and say that this 2x price is at a level which is much higher than what we're accustomed to today i could see a scenario where you know uber still is getting enough business to you know justify those prices particularly in a city like san francisco where it may only be a small percentage of people but there still are a lot of people who are pretty well off here and so maybe that becomes sustainable on uber's side but for the majority of actual you know citizens of the city those prices now are basically unattainable and so uber then becomes almost unusable at certain times of the day and on you know certain days of the
0: week that's actually a really good point that i hadn't even thought of thank you
1: Well, I mean, to me, like the arguments that you've brought up regularly on the show are all kind of leading to that scenario where, you know, Uber's um, predatory tactics today are all kind of leading up to this future where they become the dominant market force. And then once they're in that dominant position, then they can sort of just cater to however many number of people they want to make themselves profitable and they would no longer be, you know, doing what's in the best interest of of the majority of people. And I, you know, obviously with with most private businesses, th- there isn't an obligation to you know do whatever's best for the largest number of people. But don't, transportation you know, don't get me is wrong. Different.
0: Exactly.
1: Public transport. You know, well, it, it's tough though because taxis are like almost in this like gray area. No, where... no, it's
0: it. it the taxis are. Like this, this hybrid public-private piece of city exactly. infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's infrastructure, right? It's it's in so many ways like a bus. Like it. I know it's 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 on an individual basis where it's like a private transaction, but it's something that you expect to be there, right? And when you eliminate that, when you eliminate a fixture of 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 accessible transportation that's been around for the past fifty to a hundred years that's when it gets weird when a private company who then can dictate price on a whim is able to do so.
1: Now, the thing that I'll say, though, kind of contrary to the the picture I've just been painting is, and obviously these are just words and they're coming from people who have otherwise proven themselves to maybe be a little less than trustworthy or ethical, but... The messages that you get from most of Uber's executives are they want to become this kind of ubiquitous company that actually results in even fewer and fewer people owning cars to begin with like they they see themselves as being the service that is so easy to use and so affordable that people can literally just sell their cars and and just use uber exclusively so it and that's why it it's even sounds worse. like well so no, i i think of that though as being maybe an indication that they do still no matter what kind of direction they go in in terms of like the amount of market share they have they still want to be a company that is regularly used by the majority of people like they they haven't really given any indication that they they do just want to cater to a small number of people
0: i agree and, and i don't i don't think that's what i'm painting because there's no sense in like reducing the number of available cars and just driving up the price because total revenues are lower. And the capital costs, which their structure has very very low because they place all the responsibility on the drivers, which we'll talk about that It that's that's not the best business model what I'm saying is that when, they, when everybody needs it, like during an emergency or some type of situation like that where regulation actually does come in handy and was it the state of New York or who was it that um, after that whole Hurricane Sandy thing they now at least in that metro area have capped uh, emergency pricing at like 2x like that that was a thing right i see
1: what i what i had read during the most recent uh, blizzard in new york a couple of weeks back um it sounded like uber was voluntarily capping surge pricing. I don't think that was under I don't think that was under the mandate of a law.
0: I don't think it was a law. I think it was a negotiation with like the state attorney general or something. Maybe. Maybe. So no, I don't I don't think anybody legislated that out of them. I think that was uh strong prodding by regulatory agencies. Well, but it, but it seems like it seems like though that's another good sign, right? That Well, do you you have seen the whole uh, what's the deal with like uh Uber in Portland or whatever? Where they do all this weird like uh, advertising to a national base just to kind of bully local governments into accepting them. Like they're also doing this in the Midwest somewhere where like um, government wants to regulate them. So they came in, offered super low prices for like six months, and then emailed everybody saying we're gonna sh- uh, we're gonna close up shop if you don't like lobby your local government to let us operate however we want.
1: Yeah, it, it's, um, I agree. I think it's a really fine line. I think some of, their, some of those types of tactics that you just described really are kind of pushing the boundary. But I do think the core issue that they're trying to get at is a, is a valid one, which is bringing attention to the just entirely antiquated laws that most major cities have with, with taxi services.
0: Wow, that, that was an impressive spin job.
1: Well, no, I mean we've we, we talked about this on the show, I think, two or three episodes ago, where one of the laws that I think it was the the commercial driver's license law that California was looking to get all Uber and, and Lyft drivers to be applicable towards, is a law from nineteen thirty five. I mean, it's just it just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense to to not have laws, particularly in industries that are as dynamic as you know something like a taxi service is just it just doesn't make sense to have to continue to kind of just follow the status quo I, I think those types of laws and those types of regulations should be questioned now i don't at all agree with some of the tactics that ubers used but i do think it's really important that we we take a good hard look at some of this stuff and that you know that's and that's that's, that's a, a tough point. point to to disagree that, with. That that's a well, but that that's that's a point I've come back to over and over again on the show is that's what makes Uber so damn frustrating. Is in a lot of ways they're doing the right thing. They're they're questioning a lot of regulations and policies that should be questioned. They're offering a service which universally is considered to be second to none. Like they're they're doing so many right things. But then there's just so much other stuff on the edges, like these tactics you just described and like all the bad press that we've talked about ad nauseum on the show. That's what just ma- it makes them such a tough organization to... Because you know what, I'll put it put a different way to kind of bring it more back to the conversation we're having. I think there's a very strong possibility that if Uber was more, you know, kind of ethical Um, and if they didn't have all this this bad publicity and if they didn't have all these you know idiotic quotes coming out seemingly every other day and if you know some of these like recruiting tactics and tactics that they're using with cities like portland if they they weren't doing all this stuff if they were just going about things in a more reasonable fashion I don't even know if we'd be having this conversation. I think we'd almost, and, and maybe, maybe Wait, that's not, maybe that's not a on. good thing. Maybe Wait, we'd I like of... this.
0: You're, you're saying if they if they were less evil, they could be more evil, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> kind of they they'd kind of fly under the radar. That's brilliant. <laughs> you're a better Travis than Travis. Way to
1: go. <laughs> well, no, I'm I'm not I'm not because I'm I'm giving up the the grand
0: secret. You kind of blew my mind. That's that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that's totally true. Because like a lot of the the issues that I, I'm I'm take, uh I'm bringing up are things that if that a lot are just conversations we wouldn't be having if they weren't such such assholes. Right. Yeah. All right. And so to to kind of wrap this up, um, I guess a a lot of my other issues are with how they don't actually employ anybody. And well actually are uber um Uber black car drivers are they employees or are they also contractors? Do you know I
1: believe they're also contractors i don't think I don't think any of the drivers are
0: full- time employees as far as I know so I guess that is is a lot of my issue, which is all of these uh people who are so valuable to the service um, as of right now because they are the face of Uber and they are providing all the operations um are all independent contractors by design who can be easily replaced and uh, removed from the network aka fired uh, whenever uber wants to and uber themselves bears so little risk in terms of capital outlay and all this kind of stuff that it's it's just mind-boggling because the contractors are using their own cars their own time they get no benefits and they can be fired at almost any moment it it's it's just a really weird way to operate and it's stranger that the company claims to be creating so many jobs when they're not actually taking on employees they're taking on temporary workers they're they're get they're getting day laborers is what they're getting if we want to be really like blunt about it and that's that's when, when Who's who's the Obama guy? It's it's David Pluff that they mm-hmm. hired. Right. Like when the when their communications team is writing this thing saying like do they say they were going to plan to I might be just pulling this out of my butt, but they were going to create a million jobs worldwide like over the next year and a half or something. Right. They're not creating jobs. They're like paypaling are it's essentially they're paypaling people money for rides that and they're only going to keep them as long as they need them and then they'll throw them out. And they've already stated that their goal is to replace every human in the operation with with automated cars in a couple of years.
1: Well, yeah, that's I, I, that's let's come back to that point. I think that that's something I want to talk more about as part of this. But to your first point um with with the whole contractor issue, I I think you you and I are mostly on the same page with this, where and I think this is actually a really good transition from the previous point we were making about Uber being sort of this frustrating company where you want to like them but they make it really hard for you to like them. This is a great example of that. Where, and I, I actually I, I find myself talking to a lot of Uber drivers just about their experience with the service and you know what they what they think of it in terms of like hours and pay and all that. And you know you you hear a very you hear very mixed sort of reactions where some people are very happy, others others are not. And that that's exactly the issue where I think that Uber would ha- has the opportunity to make these people full-time employees. And obviously there would be a lar- large amount of cost to doing that and, and prices would inevitably have to go up on the service. But I think in the long run, that ends up being a win-win. Like I, and maybe this is, this might be kind of pie-in-the-sky thinking, but I I personally, anyway, would be more than happy to pay more for my, my use of Uber knowing that my
0: driver was a full-time employee for the company. That is a fantastic thing. However, if their competitors... So let's say Uber decides to do that, and that's crazy and that'll never happen, but let's say they decide to do that and they then have to price appropriately, and Lyft doesn't. Does Lyft now have a completely unfair competitive advantage?
1: I think the only way this even becomes a remote possibility is if this is is mandated on there. This becomes some regulation, which and, and kind that, of just and, gets us back to the whole—
0: And that's the thing, and they're going to fight tooth and nail for that yeah. to never happen. Because Actually, hold on. Sorry. I, uh, sorry. One other—I I uh, jotted down a couple of straight quotes. And uh, this is from Uber. Uh, When they tried to get regulated in Boston, uh, we will vigorously defend the rights of our riders to enjoy competition and choice and for drivers to build their own small business, meaning when they wanted to make contractors employees. So there's no chance that that's ever going to happen. And it just... It's just really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. All right, that this this is
1: something that you and I both agree on. I I think that I think they could buy themselves a lot of good press, and I actually think it would be to the benefit of the service because you would have happier, probably longer term employees by making them making them full time workers. Um, but I, I'm I'm also realistic, and I think the I don't think it's I don't think it's possible for them to do that on their own without the rest of the market also following that idea, because exactly as you said, you know, their competitors would continue to, to not do that, continue to have much lower costs and be able to completely undercut them. So uh, that that's that's a that's a tough one. I don't I don't have a very good answer for that yep i actually think though we we've saved one of the most interesting points for last which is that this whole idea that uber has been surprisingly blunt and and public about the idea that they want to move towards a fully driverless system um
0: well they they want to remove the most expensive part of their operation which is humans right exactly I want i want yeah. to put it in the most uh just not inhumane well no no i mean you you, so that the the
1: quote from um what what is what did i forget what travis's last name is clinic yeah he has he has a quote i don't have the exact quote in front of me but he he indicated that they wanted to move towards this driverless system to get the price of uber to the point where people would no longer have to own cars which is something we talked about a little bit earlier so, so I mean, your your point is basically what he's saying, just in blunter terms, which is, we want to make the service as cheap as possible, and the way that we can do that is by eliminating drivers. That is essentially what they're saying.
0: Optimizing efficiency.
1: Yeah, and that that is such a that is such a problematic thing for Uber in light of what you were just talking about with you know the hiring of you know this kind of revamped PR department. Where one of their main messages has been job creation, and it—it's just—it's to say that it's you know hypocritical is is putting it lightly, but it, it's just it, it it that's the only word I can think of. It's so hypocritical to come out and have that be one of the things that you tout your service and your company being built on, where you know that you're really just a probably a handful of years away. I mean, probably no more than. I mean, let's even on the high end, let's say seven to 10 years, it's probably going to be sooner than that, where we're going to have these automated vehicles where we're not going to need a driver. So you're going to be completely eliminating all these, you know, air quote jobs that you're creating today in a relatively short period of time.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that I just I just don't as as much as I've defended Uber on the show and even some on this episode, I, I just I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks since this first came out and then it was this was in the context of you know Google also looking into doing this as well i just i just can't i can't reconcile that i, I don't know how i don't know how those two things can can exist within the same company
0: i i i i can totally see how they exist it's just it's really disingenuous and just really really crappy to pretend to 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 create jobs when really again and when i go back to what i think is the macroeconomic implications of what uber is doing they're transforming markets and in, in they're privatizing transportation, which is fine, but that means that they're shifting jobs around and they're replacing existing jobs with worse jobs because they're taking jobs that used to have some semblance of benefits or employee protections into just a sea of contract workers that have no recourse after this that are about to be replaced by machines. So yay. Again, not th- I'm not saying that like I don't want to be like against innovation and like a, the progress of history, but they are worse jobs, and it, I don't know. It should have been naturally phased out, I guess. You can't you can't have it both ways. You can't you can't you can't. You're just you're just creating shittier jobs.
1: When you're, and you're creating jobs that you're already working to get rid of. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> well, yeah. It's not working. That
1: just that just that. Um... I mean, I I can certainly see a case where even in a contractor type of scenario, where that you know that type of job is better than no job, right? For 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 most people. So if you're in a position where you're you're you know you're unemployed
0: and and you need something quickly, but what if what if the company that's bringing you on as a contractor is the reason you're unemployed?
1: Well, that (laughs) that's that is what I guess I I spent (laughs) sure that's what I
0: was trying to say in the past minute and didn't really succeed at.
1: No, okay, okay. I, I I see what I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, that that's that's a problem.
0: Again, I mean, it's, it's just moving jobs around in the same economy.
1: Well, and it's you know it's um it's so we we were talking about with switching from contractors to full time employees, how that's only going to work if if basically that becomes sort of the standard for all companies operating in this market to follow. You know, that's that's exactly what you're saying now, where you know Uber is able to kind of take away some of these. Jobs from like traditional cab services because they don't, you know, they basically don't play by the same rules. So, you know, in in some ways, ironically, this is this whole discussion has become sort of the the, the argument for why you need regulation in a in a industry like, you know, public transportation. We've come i uh, have come full circle, as you would say.
0: We have. I'm gl- I'm glad we got that out of the way.
1: Yeah, no, that was um it, it it did live up to the hype, which is, I don't uh, think it's hard to do.
0: But also I wanna say this is not just an Uber problem. This this goes for like Lyft is a far less successful at this and they're not as publicly awful. And they're a lot of like the whole kind of on demand economy thing that we've been talking about over like the, the past couple months. It's it's all the same thing.
1: You know what though, I wonder I wonder if Lyft is the example of this though, like you know, the hypothetical we were talking about where if Uber wasn't just so overtly evil how they would kind of fly under the radar, I wonder if Lyft is that example. maybe Lyft does all the same predatory pricing shit that Uber does. We just don't really think about it because
0: well, no, they do, but they just they're trying to stay competitive, so therefore they're forced to they're They're in this like fight of futility where they have to match the pricing, otherwise they might as well just go home already, but they don't have the same level of funding to sustain the losses that long. So they're just they're they're screwed, so they're just gonna lose tons of money and die because they're they're underfunded. I think it's because of that stupid pink mustache again, it's now a new neon pink mustache
1: yeah i I saw on my run yesterday evening i I saw one of the cars with these new mustaches, and they're they're better, but I mean what they were replacing would be hard to be worse than so I, I I blame the pink mustache.
0: <laughs> All right. Decent show. Yeah, very good. Very, very good. All right. Let's call it quits while we're ahead.
1: Okay. That sounds good.